Good morning, everyone. Could everyone please stand for the reading of the word? All right. I'm Addie Norman, and I've been attending NBC for almost a year now, and I'm going to be reading 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't usually let me do with electrical stuff, and that's why, you know. So anyway, some of you who do not know me, uh, that is nothing new. So uh, actually, I, we had a problem not too long ago, and it wasn't my fault. I was really amazed that it wasn't my fault, but, um, but this time it was. So you probably didn't hear anything I said, right? I know online y'all didn't. Welcome. We're glad to have you join us um, this morning. But we had about 120 kids. Man, my heart was so moved just now watching those kids seeing how great is our God. You know, and I was standing back there, and I was watching that, and uh, I was just being moved by that, and I'm thinking, gosh, what does God think? I mean, does he not, he loves the little children. And to hear them sing of him, it's got to be, got to be sweet, sweetness to his ears, and, 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 and yet he, he enjoys hearing us when we speak well of him. I always remember this old Scottish uh, preacher who was talking to a young young Scottish preacher that was just beginning to start, and he just, he just said, God loves to hear men speak well of his son. And I think, wow, how true is that? It was such a blessedness this week, seeing all the kids and getting to know them and uh, meet them. Thank you, Donna. I know she's downstairs and all the volunteers, the energy of those leading the songs. It's just, it's all part of it coming together. I talk a lot about uh, that we're just learning to follow Jesus together, right? We're just learning how to be disciples. We're learning how to learn of Christ and to grow in Jesus. And, uh, and this was just a great week of service, uh, seeing the kids and their smiles, their crazy shoes, their socks, their, their hair, their fainted pace, faces. It was even fun to kind of see uh, Fatima's hairdo, you know? And so, you know, it was just, just a blessed week. And they were celebrating... God's greatness, the monumental greatness of our God, the monumental love of our God. And so I thought today in the short time that we have, and if I don't get too excited, it'll be short, um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, I would just want us to look at God's great mercy, God's great mercy towards us. If you will, 
take your Bibles and turn there if you haven't gotten there already. First Peter chapter three, verses, first uh, Peter chapter one, verses three through seven. Some of the historical background that we need to understand in this book. It, um, when Peter wrote this, uh, the city of Rome had burned. Uh, there was tremendous devastation in, in Rome and the M Roman Empire. Many of their religions and a lot of their ways of life had been devastated. And there was tremendous uh, uh, sorrow among, among the people there. Um, the emperor at the time was Nero. Many, many believe, in fact, many Romans believe that uh, Nero burned the city, set the fires throughout the city to burn the city because he had these great aspirations to build bigger and better. And so in order to burn, by burning it, he was allowed to build the things the way he wanted. And what he did ended up doing is he ended up making Christians the scapegoat. There was already many in Rome that felt like Christians were hostile towards the Roman government at the time uh, because they believed in an emperor. They would worship an emperor. They believed in him. And here were these Christians talking about Jesus and about him being the king. And so they seemed to think that they were hostile toward the Roman government. So when Nero started spreading the rumors that the Christians were the ones that started this fire and they were getting blamed throughout the, throughout the Roman Empire, uh, and as it spread quickly, the, the, the persecution uh, of Christians, and, and I'll even use the word vicious persecution of Christians, uh, was beyond what you can imagine today. Uh, we cannot think of the idea of people being thrown in with lions. We can think of people being burned at a stake just simply because they were a Christian. And yet that was what was going on. And these Christian believers were dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And Peter takes pen to write to them. And he begins to present to them this, uh, this theological basis for encouragement in the midst of persecution. And he talks about joy and he talks about hope, a living hope. He talks about those things in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, and that we have this inexpressible joy because of who Christ is and what he has done. And so I want to pick up there in chapter three of verse one, uh, chapter one, chapter one, verse three. I'll probably do that again. So if I do it again, just know that I'm, I'm saying it wrong. But we're in chapter one, look at verse three. It said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word blessed there is a really a compound word. It literally means well done, one, as, one aspect of the word, well done or to do well. And the second half, that word, or the second part of that word means literally to speak. Uh, it's actually the root of the word uh, of logos, it's logeo, which literally means to speak, and it means someone who speaks well of somebody else. So we get our, our word eulogy from this, where to eulogize somebody means to speak well of them. And so Peter's speaking well of God, the fa God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I know in, our, in my small group, we're kind of going through uh, Colossians, and we're trying to uh, go through Bible study methods. How do we study the Bible? And when we read this idea of God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we kind of read that past statements like that without ever taking thought about what was going on. And that culture at that time, especially in Colossae, but even to those that were, uh, Peter was writing, there was a real challenge about who Jesus was. Was he the son of God? See, I believe that Jesus is the God man. 
fully God, fully man. And there were many who thought that Jesus was just kind of an emulation of, of God, many of, one of many, 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 and that he wasn't really God. And there was a challenge about the personhood of Jesus Christ. And Peter settles this. He says, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ it identifies not only his humanity, but it identifies his deity that he is God. It is something that we have to understand, dear people of God. That as we understand the scriptures, that we understand who Jesus is. Everything I believe, everything that I hold, rests on the person of Jesus Christ and what he did. If Jesus didn't exist, if Jesus wasn't God, if Jesus didn't do the things the scriptures tells us, then we're all in big trouble. Uh, we, we have no hope. Our hope is based on his person not on what we attain in a church or how many times we sit in a, in a chair or walk through a door. It's based on Christ. And whether I, whether I find a right standing with God or not, all depends on how I believe about who Jesus is. And Peter is making us understand that Jesus is who he says he is. He is God. And I love this next phrase. He says, according to his great mercy. The picture is that by the mercy of God, he moved to make us born again, to make us alive. He was moved by his mercy. He was moved by his grace. He was moved by his love. We live in a day where we redefining love like crazy. Every time we turn around, you read another article, redefining love. But I'm gonna tell you this. God is love, but love isn't God. The picture of it is, is that God by his mercy, by his love, by who he is, that moved him to bring about this great salvation, that great mercy of our God. So great. We're talking to this last week about with the kids about the greatness of our God and celebrating the greatness of his person. And the reality is God is so wonderful, but he had demonstrated towards us his mercy, his great mercy. And we as his children need to understand that. And he uses this word, he has caused us to be born again. It's only this particular word only is used twice here. It's used, and it's only used by Peter. It's used here and also in verse 23 of this same chapter. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, what about John 3, Nicodemus? It's a little bit different in the Greek. It still has kind of the same idea, but this here is the idea of begat, to begat again. It's a picture of to be caused to be born again. And there's this picture whereby I remember when I was, a, when I was in high school and I was really... God was really getting a hold of my life. You know, you kind of walked around, you go, are you a born-again believer? That's how you define, define a true Christian, right? Born-again believer. And half the people don't even understand what we're talking about. And the picture is that we're born again, that we went from death to life. Whether you realize it this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ, death is at your door. I have a lot of people I talk to and I love to, debating and not debating, but I love the discussion that's around truth and about who Christ is. I, I love it. And a lot of people that we think we just define our own ways and we define our own selves and, and on and on. And the question I always have is how do you conquer death? Everybody faces death. There's only one I know who has conquered death, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, because of his death, because of that historical act, he accomplished once and for all, those who would believe, he accomplished salvation, redemption. 
It's the idea whereby, in the sense, because he is alive, I have a living hope because he lives. The certainty of my hope, the certainty of my salvation is based on what Christ did, and he's alive. That's why he says he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a living hope that's based on the resurrection of Christ. And if we look down verse 21 of this same chapter, it's talking there, Peter, and he's talking about us through him, Jesus, are believers in God, that we become believers of God in Christ because of what he's done, who God raised him up, Jesus, raised him up from the dead and gave him, Jesus, glory. Why? So that your faith and hope are in God. I, I remember struggling with my salvation and whether I was saved and all of that. I was about 18 years old and Man, I play the game. I've shared this story before. I play the game in the gas station where I worked back in the day when we did full service, you know, in the gas station. Some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. We checked tires. We checked the oil. We checked all those, washed the windows, you know, washed the headlights. I mean, we did all of it, right? And I can remember sitting there looking at the little window, waiting for a car coming, going, God, if I'm saved, let it be, you know, and I picked some color and some type of car, you know, and another car came in. I remember one of the times a car came in, it was a pink Cadillac back in the day with those cosmetic ladies, you know, they used to drive those pink Cadillac. I guess it was a reward. But I remember seeing a pink, I'm thinking, okay, God, you're thinking pink, I got it, which really wasn't my color, but nevertheless, I said, okay, God, you're thinking pink, maybe a pink Volkswagen. So I'm waiting and they, you know, a black or green Volkswagen would drive in. It was just like, I'm trying to find these ways. And I remember I was really struggling. I was in turmoil to understand my salvation, my dependence. And I remember I lived, my mom and dad had an upstairs and I lived up there and I pretty much stayed up there. I remember going up and opening my Bible and just reading passages and trying, trying to find some kind of relief from the scriptures that I would have a certainty of my salvation. And I came across this young rich ruler and it always amazed me. This young rich ruler comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit life and have life and be saved? And Jesus says, keep all the commandments. He's pretty proud. He says, I have done all that. He said, if you want to be perfect, then go sell everything, come follow me. And he walked away, which I was involved in an evangelism group at a, at a Southern Baptist church. And anybody that comes asking you how to be saved, you never let them walk away until you get, you know, you close the deal, so to speak, right? You just don't let that happen. It was kind of the mentality. But I remember reading that and I was so, I was so frustrated. And I'm thinking, oh God, man, what do I got to do, you know? And I remember going through the scriptures. Well, I believe. I believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I, I'm depending on that. And I remember in that moment of frustration, I finally just said, you know what, God, if I die and go to hell, it's your fault. And then I put my hands over my mouth, like, oh my God, it's lightning coming through the roof. But the reality is where I came is to the place where my faith and my hope was in God. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ and you're thinking that your good life is enough, I love you, but it's not gonna be enough. If you're thinking somehow you're you know, here whenever the church doors are open and you give lots of money and resources to the church, I'm sorry, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's faith and hope in God. It's our dependence in him. Our assurance of our salvation, the certainty of it, is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. 
I stand here today before you not as somebody who's accomplished. I stand you here before you as a fellow person within this world who has placed their faith and their hope in Christ and nothing else. And that is all I have to stand on. And it isn't until everything's fallen apart in your life and you're fallen helplessly throughout your struggles that you come to a place and you realize that that's all you need is Christ. He's enough. He gave permanence to our hope. He revived hope. When he rose from the ground, hope rose with him because he conquered death once and for all. And when we talk about salvation, when we talk about forgiveness, and we talk about those things of being set free as believers, we understand that we move from the kingdom of darkness, from a king, kingdom of slavery, whereby we were bound by the iniquity that's within our members. And that we've been delivered and brought into the kingdom of our God, of God's dear son, Jesus Christ. We've been brought into the kingdom of life. We've been brought into the kingdom of light. We have been given life because of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. In fact, when it says there in resurrection of Christ, the word in the Greek is ek. It's, it's literally out from within. And the picture is that Christ was raised from the dead out from among the dead. And we too, that when we place our faith in Christ, we're raised out of death into life. For freedom he has set us free. Freedom from what? From the bondage that we were so enslaved in. It's only by the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God that we stand here and I have nothing. I come before him with nothing but simply believing him to do exactly what he said. My living hope to God be the glory and the praise. In verse four, he didn't just give us life, but it says to an inheritance that is imperishable. In other words, it's indestructible. It will not pass away. It's undefiled. In other words, it's unstained, unpolluted by evil. It wasn't obtained by corruption or unrighteousness. It's unfading. In other words, it doesn't wilt like a flower. You see it begin to wilt. Our inheritance doesn't wilt. When you look at inheritance in the scriptures, the concept of it is a major theme in the scriptures because it brings about family connection. It brings about gift within the family. And the picture is, and it's one of the reasons why I say it so much, is that we are the people of God, is that it understands that now we have been brought into his family. And with that is an inheritance. I, I've shared many times before, I've never met my birth father. And, and it's a picture whereby my dad wasn't perfect. I called him my dad when I was about four. He adopted me. He gave me his name. He called me his own. He brought me in to his family. And that's what God did. He brought us into his family. He called us his own. And he and gave us an inheritance. And he holds it for us. It's not going to fade away. It's not, not going to be attacked host, by hostile, hostile uh, takeover or any way like that. It's not, going to be, it's not going to be divided among anger and fighting of, that takes place so many times. It's not going to fade away and be of no value for God oversees it. That's what he says when he goes on in, verse, in the last part of verse 4, kept in heaven for you. It's to watch, to guard, to protect. The word there, to kept, is literally like a garrison within a, within a city. It's like a military post. It isn't just the picture of one soldier, even though with God, that's enough. 
But it's a picture whereby there's a garrison, a protection, there's a post, military to protect. God keeps watch for it, and he's enough. Verse five says, uh, he says, who by God's power, talking about the who is us, that we are being kept by God's power, being guarded through faith for, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, that God's power is, is guarding us, and it's through faith. When we talk through these passages, every, everything that we talked about is what God has done, moved by his great mercy. He has made us alive. He has given us a living hope. He has given us an inheritance in his family. He gave us an inheritance, and now he says, through faith, this is our responsibility, is to believe. You see, the amazing thing, and I say this all the time, if you're around me very much, it's a fearful thing to teach God's word. I don't know if you know that. It's a fearful thing to stand for the people God loves and to proclaim his word. It's a fearful thing. But all we have in response is faith. We believe by faith. And as we believe in faith, it begins to produce in our lives. It begins to produce those things that reflect that faith. That's why he goes on. It's ready to be revealed in last time. The last time refers to, I believe here, the return of Jesus Christ. Down in verse 7, he talks about the resurrection or that when Jesus Christ is revealed. And here he's talking about that picture that when he is revealed, the full significance of our salvation shall be known. What do I mean by all that? What I'm talking about here, when we have by faith, and, and, and teaching the word, I can, I can teach you a lot of different things, but the reality is, the picture is, do you know Christ? You see, on that day when I was 11 years old and that pastor preached, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. God, by his mercy and his grace, his spirit moved in my, in my heart, it enlightened my heart, it brought me to truth, and I responded to the gospel message. Even though if there were several years after that where I had no idea how to live Christ, I responded and I received Christ in my life. That day, I was placed into the body of Christ. God called me his own. I was placed into his family. We call that positional sanctification. It's the idea of being placed into his body. And now, since then, in these Many years that I've seeked after Christ and I've grown in Christ, I am constantly learning through living out my life in faith, trusting God with those truths. So I'm taking what, I've, what I am in Christ and now I'm beginning to live it out in my life, step by step by step. But there's coming this one day when I will look off and the Christ will return and this body of sin that I battle every day will be no longer that I'll receive a glorified body and sin will be done away with and the full significance of my salvation will be realized then. Until then, I look with a living hope. Why? Because Jesus is alive. It's a picture. That's why he goes on and he says in verses six and seven, he said, in this you rejoice. And he's talking about the, resur- the, the returning of Christ. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been tested You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about in, the, in that picture, in that last time, in this you rejoice. When that day comes, you will be rejoicing. And you rejoice now. It's an extreme expression of joy. We see it in verse 8. There's this picture whereby because of what God has done, it brings joy. And it's not determined by circumstances. Last year in January, a year ago, I was in the, I was in the hospital. Uh, I had gotten covid and there was there for four days and by God's grace and all, he was good towards me. But at the time, there was a lot we didn't know about COVID. My wife dropped me off. She had to go home. No one was allowed. They stuck me in a room. When I looked out the window, all I saw was an AC unit. I don't do good staying in the house a long time or whatever. I was climbing walls not too long. But I remember the next day, the morning after I had gone into the hospital, I'm sitting there because the previous week, I had just started a sermon series called The Blessed Life. I'm sitting there that Saturday morning, I have no idea what's gonna happen. Felt horrible, didn't feel good, all and on and on. I remember asking me this, myself this question, am I still blessed? You see, I was sitting in the hospital, I didn't know what the consequences of, of that illness was gonna be on my life. My heart had fibrillated. There were several things that had gone on. I didn't know. And I remember sitting there going, am I still blessed? And I remember sitting there in that moment of faith and I said, yes. Because it isn't my circumstances that make me blessed. What makes me blessed is the hope that I have in Christ. The hope that I have in Jesus. What God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, and my faith in him establishes me. It brings, about, it brings about joy. It produces the idea and reveals my faith. That's what he means when he says, you have been grieved by various trials. It's heaviness, it's sorrow. There's various, there's multiple kinds, but they're temporary in view of eternity. We rejoice because of the promise of his return. And he says the tested genuineness of your faith. It literally means to be test for the purpose of approving. There's two results from testing. One is that idea of refining or purifying one's faith. It, it, when I was sitting in that hospital, there was, there was things I was having to deal with personally about my faith and trust in God. Did I believe in, in my hope and my trust was in him or was it in the circumstances I found myself? And oftentimes those, those, those trials, those difficulties, they refine us. When my dad, when I was a kid, my dad had a jewelry business. And I can remember oftentimes he would take gold and he would begin to heat it up and melt it down. And as that gold would get hotter and hotter, all the impurities, all the other things that you don't want in there would kind of come to the top and he would just kind of skim it off the top. And it's the same picture of, of our faith. That as we go through those trials, those impurities, those things that keep us from stepping out in faith and trusting God, they kind of get, get burned off, if you will. They come to the top and they refine our faith. And secondly, these trials prove the reality of our faith. So many times I watch people go through difficult times and they grow bitter and angry with God because they don't understand who God is and they don't understand what God has done. God isn't concerned as much in the short time as today, but he's working on us in eternity. My hope is in him. It's the reality of the genuineness of our faith. And he talks here about faith and that 
or gold. He says, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in the glory and praise as a, uh, of, uh, for, a glory and praise and honor of the, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The picture is, is that gold, even though it lasts a long time, it's eventually gonna wear off. It's gonna perish. In fact, I heard somewhere that in heaven, God uses it to make roads, you know? But what does faith purchase? Faith, the genuineness of our faith, it leads us to an inheritance that can never perish. It will never, never weather, wither. It will never be destroyed. It will never be done away with. It's so much of greater value. It's priceless. Our faith, our faith in what God has done, where we place our faith, the genuine faith that we have brings praise, glory, and honor to Jesus at his revelation. I want to, re- I want to praise him and glorify him when he returns. Let's close in verses eight and nine. Just listen to these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You can't do that if you don't have faith. You're not gonna experience joy. You're not gonna experience comfort. You're not gonna experience peace without faith. Verse nine, obtaining, listen to this, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Where are you this morning? You walk through the door and I know the kids were great and we, we love the kids and we thank you so much for bringing them that we might be able to, to have them for this time and get to share with them of God's love and his mercy. And we thank you for entrusting us with them. We thank you for that. But where are you? Where are you? I remember when I was a young man and started getting excited about the Lord, my dad would be at work and he would be sharing with this guy who was a believer. He'd be sharing with them and about all the things I was doing for Christ at the church. And finally, one day, the guy looked at my dad and he says, you know, you're always talking about your son, about what he's doing for the Lord. What about you? Where are you? I marked that moment as a time when my dad came to Christ. Where are you? You're precious. You're important. You're valuable. If you weren't, God wouldn't have sent his son. But don't let, don't let the message of the world and the culture deceive you to think that there's some other way for hope, for joy. It's only found in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that your spirit just would move among us, that your spirit would speak to us, the Father, there are some maybe here this morning who have never trusted in Christ, never placed their faith. May, Father, your spirit move in their hearts that even today before they leave, they would trust in you. It's, there's no magic. It's simply believing you to do what you said you would do, believing in the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, maybe there's some this morning who part of the family and they've become and And if they were honest, Father, they've kind of just drifted and they don't experience the joy and the peace and the things that they know are true within the faith, but they just don't experience them because, Father, if they were honest, they've kind of been living their own way instead of listening to you and your truth. Father, may your spirit move in them too. Father, may you encourage those who maybe have grown weary and the burden and the 
and the heaviness of trials in their lives have just made it a burden every day. May, Father, today you encourage them of their living hope that they have in Christ. And may they take courage there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.